Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we re recap what many called a sleeper Saturday. Well, it was kind of sleepy, but not in the way that you would expect. We also have plenty of waiver wire pickups for you this week. Uh, QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end, everything you'll need for this upcoming week. All that and more coming right up. Goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. On the other side of me, as always, is the ever dashing and yeah, for some reason I can't come up with a second compliment for you today. Sorry, Xavier. Um, the uh, punctual, the, uh, punctual. Uh, now I've made that joke too many times. You're always late. Um, <laughs> the ever dashing and punctual, as Xavier wants to be called this morning, uh, host Mr. Xavier Hood. Xavier, how are we doing today? We're doing good. It's been a good weekend of college football. Um, ready to, you know, move on to week nine because our Georgia Bulldogs did not play. So not much of interest, but there were some interesting games, though. So we yeah, would, I would love to talk about and get into those as soon as we uh, start and get going. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of people were kind of calling this like a sleepy Saturday. And like, I still think that was the case, but not in the way that you were expecting. By no means was this like a sleepy Saturday. Everything was chalky. We had plenty of upsets. We'll get into those here in a second. But I think it was sleepy in that a lot of massive favorites slept on their competition this week. Penn State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Alabama. A lot of big favorites this week really got put to the test in their game. So we'll definitely get into a lot of those. But first, before we do anything, we are going to give you guys our waiver wire pickups for the week. We got plenty of those this week uh, for you, even this late into the season. I'm shocked the amount of people, the amount of just good quality players you're able to find on the waiver wires. Although it gets a little harder as we're getting this far into the season. But we'll get into those. Xavier, you got anything else you want to say before we get started? No, let's uh, jump right in. All right. Let's go ahead and start with our quarterbacks for the week. This is, um, you're going to notice a lot of the same names from last week, but some of these I'm going to be even more emphatic than I was last week. Starting with uh, Mr. Garrett Schrader here out of Syracuse. There is no reason why this man should be only on 19% of rosters. Y'all look at the last couple of weeks he's had. He is the offense for this Syracuse team. Whether they are throwing the ball, now he's not the greatest throw in the world, but they're going to run him. He ran more times than uh, Sean Tucker did this past weekend against Virginia Tech, and that was huge. Um, dude went 16 for, 30, for 34, like I said, not the best passer, but still put up 236 yards and two touchdowns. And again, the big story here, 22 carries for 174 yards and three touchdowns. Again, you can't expect that high level every single week, but we've seen over the past couple of weeks, this is a man to... Respect. This is going to be a man that's going to be putting up points on the ground every single week. So Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Schrader? Yeah, uh, absolutely. His uh, his talent is in his rushing ability. That's where his production comes from. Uh, as a Sean Tucker uh, owner, um, I was a little bit uh, 
you know, a little bit salty about some of those goal line carries of like there would be a uh, first or second and goal. And I'm like, all right, it's time to give it to Sean Tucker and Gary Trader will just run in and and that helped and that happened so many times. So they obviously have enough uh, faith in him to uh, get those goal line touchdowns and he's running for his life almost every single time and he's mobile. So uh, yep. absolutely. Uh, so that's all I can really say about that. He's a must, must pick up. He's a, he's a must pick up this week. If you have the first, uh, if you have the first pick on the waiver wire this week, Garrett Schrader, regardless of how good your QB situation is, you honestly need to find room for Garrett Schrader. Simple as that. Next, we'll move on to Hendon Hooker, uh, quarterback out of Tennessee. This one really got back on here because he dropped below 40%. Um, which to me is a shame because once again, we're seeing a guy here who is a true dual threat quarterback in a very highly productive offense with the Tennessee offense. We saw them really put up some, put up some yards and points on Tennessee on Alabama this past weekend um, until the fourth quarter, fourth quarter, everything shut down for Tennessee. They just ran out of gas. Uh, even still against Alabama past weekend, he went 19 for 28, 282 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. He had 12 carries, 26 yards, not his best day on the ground. Again, Going to get going up against Alabama, they're going to stop your run uh, run game pretty well. But even still, uh, like I said, uh, Xavier and I were talking about him before the show, and Xavier pointed out, well, they got Georgia coming up, and I'm like, I agree. But after that, I think he can put up points pretty much on anybody that he needs to. Uh, that uh, Tennessee Kentucky game can be very interesting down the road. Uh, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hooker? Yeah, uh, just to clarify, uh, they play Kentucky first after they have okay. a bye week this year. So they play Kentucky, then they play Georgia. But then after that, South Alabama and Dandy, that's a must start for Hendon Hooker. Um, uh, he's going to be the offense with Pupil, um, with what Pupil has done. I'm not saying Tennessee is a good team, a uh, good team overall, but they've definitely improved over the past few years offensively. Um, Hendon Hooker is the under the helm of that offense. Uh, he's, you know, uh, spot uh, highlighting a lot of those receivers that you know a lot of people may have been sleeping on for this past uh, pre, uh, this past offseason with Adelis Jones Jr. and those running back uh, the running back tambo, tandem for the future of Jabari Small and Tyon Evans looks just completely revolutionized uh, with Hen- Hendon Hooker calling the shots and Hupel. So I think as overall that Tennessee offense has a lot of good gems on there and I like Hendon Hooker as my quarterback. So definitely for the Kentucky game. Uh, maybe not against Georgia, and then after that rest of the season, I would start hitting Hooker for the rest of the season. He's going to be incredible for playoff games. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, absolutely. So we'll go ahead and move on to our third quarterback here. Another guy from last week. Again, these last three were pretty much on our picks for last week. Uh, Frank Harris barely uh, made our 40% margin for this week, uh, so I'm going to put him on here again. Uh, didn't have the best of games this past weekend. Still score, still put up about 25 points in half PPR formats. Uh, even still, his rushing ability is just something you can't ignore. He had eight carries for 59 yards, zero touchdowns this week. But again, you can't you can't count on cut touchdowns every single week, but he gives you a great base floor every single week. And again, he plays the Conference USA. Honestly, UTSA is looking like they're about to win that whole thing. And I think that no matter what week you put him in, he's going to be putting up points for you. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Frank Harris? Yeah, as, as we mentioned last week, I, I think I mentioned earlier in that uh, show where I was like, yeah, Frank Harris um, with that UTSA offense, it's just great all around, great pieces all around. But it's going to be a matchup based and situational of when you want to put Frank Harris in, because if they're going against a team with a terrible rush defense, then they're just going to hand the ball off to Sincere McCormick and Frank Harris doesn't have to do so much. And that's mm-hmm. what uh, kind of happened against L.A. Tech this past week, where Sincere McCormick went off for like three touchdowns, uh, 20 to 30 carries for over 100 yards and Frank Harris was just cruising on and I don't think he only threw like one touchdown if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, he threw two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Both so of them to uh, Zachary Franklin. 
so yeah, it was a it was a good week um, overall. You know, one of the better ones. I mean, he's had some big ones, especially against Western Kentucky. But yeah, going down the line, I think Frank Harris. Uh, people have starting to you know pick up on this uh, UTSA offense, and that's why he's right at forty percent. So he'll he'll definitely probably not be on this list next week. Yeah, the big the big knock on Frank Harris last year, if I remember correctly, was that he would like you you would get like sometimes you get 30 40 point games out of him but then he could give you a dud where he's like eight points or something like that every once in a while doesn't look like that's the case this year he's going to give you a base four every single week so absolutely pick him up move on to our fourth quarterback bringing this guy back cameron rising quarterback out of utah i mentioned before on last week's podcast he had two 30 point games pretty much in a row this past week put up 25 points again his rushing ability a lot like Frank Harris, where it's just going to give you a safe base floor every single week for you. Uh, he went 22 for 36 against Oregon State, 267 yards, two touchdowns, uh, had 10 carries on the ground for 73 yards. Again, didn't get a rushing touchdown. That definitely would have helped him, but you can't always count on those. But I can count on these passing and these rushing stats week in and week out. So what are your thoughts on Mr. Rising, Xavier? Yeah, I picked him up in our league. Um, I like what I'm seeing out of him. I think uh, his dual threat ability um, – Probably in this past game didn't get to show that much, but he still, you know, did enough to where he's finding his receivers, he's getting them the ball, getting touchdowns. Um, I think in the past few weeks, now that he's uh, earned that starting job, he's throwing for, I think he's averaging around 35 to 36 attempts. And Very he's nice. uh, completing about like 60, uh, 66, or if I'm not mistaken, or 65 plus uh, percentage completion percentage. So that's what I like in a quarterback. And then the fact that you have that dual threat ability, and I think Utah's a good team for the Pac-12 in the South. So I know up this uh, this upcoming week they have UCLA. Um, they just lost to Oregon, so it might be a shootout. It, it might be, or either uh, Utah just stomps on UCLA and we get to see great things. But the only caveat I would say is um, sometimes Utah likes to rely on those running backs because they have so many that they can just rotate in and out. I think mm-hmm. Thomas is the one that's kind of start, starting to stick out, and he's getting a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it, you know it's a little mix. But for the past few weeks, I think Rising's uh, no, been getting a good amount of attempts from like 12 to 10 to 12 and getting like 60 plus yards. So I think that'll probably go up in you know, some of those softer matchups. So definitely, um, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw him here next week because, you know, Pac-12 QBs have kind of been underperforming, but I think Ryan has done a good job. And he, he would have to have a massive jump uh, from 10% all the way to 40. I don't, th- I don't think yeah. he's stirring up that much buzz yet. But I think, you know, we're getting into a week uh seven eight i mean eight nine so i think it's just if you're struggling at quarterback and there's a guy that just hasn't been hitting for you i think rising that rising is that safe guy and you know what honestly i'm going to be one of the first well not the first ones but i'm going to be uh one of the you know early ones to say that his ceiling is pretty high uh, i think with that offense so yeah that's all i have to say about mr rising Think what class he's in uh because if if, if he has a couple more years of eligibility underneath him he could be a very very good he's a freshman is he really i I believe oh my god he's a true freshman i believe he's a true freshman mr utah um of this past year wow well might need to uh keep an eye on him in some of my keeper leagues uh we'll go ahead and move on to our fifth and final quarterback here. I'm bringing this guy back, Anthony Richardson, quarterback out of Florida. We still haven't gotten any word on whether or not he'll be starting against Georgia. Regardless, I don't think even if he is starting against Georgia, you're not going to probably play him in that game just with how good Georgia's defense has been. But even still, he gets the nod from here on out. The rest of that schedule for Florida is a joke. Um, They still have to play... um, I believe they haven't played South Carolina yet. They haven't played Florida State yet. And I think they have one or two cupcakes elsewhere just thrown in there. They're good to go for the rest of the season after they play Georgia. So if Anthony Richardson, we've seen him put up just insane stats in the time that he is out there on the field. If he gets that full-time starting gig in some of those games, 
he's gonna he's gonna be putting up some crazy numbers for you. He could he could be a playoff winner. So go ahead and nab him now if you haven't already. Yeah, uh, I agree completely. Uh, besides the UGA game, which I think Emory Jones and him will split, I think Dan Mullen's going to have a feel of like whoever has the hot hand, he'll just ride out with. Because mm-hmm. um, from what all the reports have been saying, he's going to, uh, you know, UGA has been uh, game planning for both just in case, because uh, that's what the rumors are. But yeah, after UGA, they play South Carolina, Sanford, Mizzou, and FSU. All in their mm-hmm. last four games, all easy uh, cupcake defenses, um, especially Mizzou um, and FSU. So I think those are perfect and prime games for him to. Uh, if Dan Mullen wants to start him full time, these are good reps for him going for the future. And yeah, Florida may have a, another significant quarterback on their hands. But uh, so yeah, Anthony Richardson. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to our running back picks of the week. Let me just write something down real quick, and then we'll move over. So, Xavier, I'm going to let you take the lead on the running backs. Let's go ahead and start off with our first guy here. Yeah, we have Devin Achan out of Texas A&M, owned on 37%. Uh, I think people are starting to realize, um, yeah, Devin Achan is the truth. I saw it last year with my own eyes as a freshman. I was like, man, who's this kid behind Isaiah Spiller, and why is he stealing some of my carries? And... Lord and behold, uh, Devin A-Chain is the truth. Uh, once Isaiah Spiller goes off for this draft, A-Chain is going to be one of those top running backs in uh, this upcoming, uh, you know, this, uh, the next uh, college football season. So, I mean, he has the speed. Uh, he's, you know, shown the ability to run between the tackles now, uh, catch out of the backfield. Um, I think the biggest thing, the reason that he's, like, rising so much is that he's legit splitting 50-50 with Isaiah Spiller now. And they're both mm-hmm. being productive. Like, if you're still Isaiah Spiller owner, I know you can be a little bit salty, but not too much because Isaiah Spiller still is producing and having A-Chain producing as well is great, especially when you don't have a quarterback. Um, no, no, nothing against Calzada. He had that great week against Alabama, but I don't think anybody's like looking out to roster him anytime soon. I think everybody's just waiting for uh, Haynes King to come back and we can see that offense in full form or if they have a, a freshman quarterback coming in that can maybe do a little bit more than Haynes you know, pushing for that job, then Texas A&M is a, a sneakily, uh, you know, just a fancy gold mine in terms of because I feel like they have a few good receivers as well. Nice Smith is a guy that a lot of people love. Um, if they get a few more receivers, if Chapman is healthy, uh, Wadermeyer is going off for the draft, but still, I'm gonna throw Demond, uh, Demas in there as well. That I, I oh, watched, yeah, I watched, I watched a little bit of that South Carolina game, and man, if Calzado was just a little bit more dialed in, Demas might have had two touchdowns yesterday because he was burning some of those south carolina dbs yesterday again not that that's like the greatest praise in the world south carolina's db situation is not exactly great but even so i'll throw him out there um but yeah you pretty much said everything i wanted to say about devin a chain uh dude's a track star he is a uh, home run ability 100 anytime he touches the ball he could take it to the house uh again like you said he split carries with uh, isaiah spiller that might have had something a little bit to do with uh south them playing south carolina they probably maybe got a little bit more carries than you typically would see in a game. But even so, 20 carries for 154 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that if you get that out of an RB2 every single week, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining. Yeah, absolutely. So right. I guess we can move on to our second running back of the yes, week. Sir. Uh, waiver wire. We have Dylan McDuffie out of Buffalo on 16% of rosters. Um, yeah, what are we doing, guys? It's, bu- it's a Buffalo running back, and honestly, he's leading the helm over Kevin Marks. We all presume that Kevin Marks would be that guy going forward to replace Jared Patterson. And Kevin Marks hasn't been a bad back for Buffalo. I will not, you know, scrutinize him to the point where I'm just like, yeah, drop Kevin Marks. Um, I think he still is productive. but He, he just can't stay healthy. He was- 
yeah, that's the, that's the problem. He was a game time decision and he just couldn't go. So Dylan McDuffie has slid in that role perfectly, seamlessly almost. Um, and this past weekend, 23 carries, 111 yards and having a touchdown. And he's been doing this consistently over the past few weeks. So, I mean, honestly, it's the Mac. I, I don't know. I mean, what else to say? I think Dylan McDuffie is just going to be primed for even, even more 100 yard games and 20 plus carries. Yep, I was to say, volume, volume, volume with this Buffalo offense, even with Lance Lee pulled down in Kansas now. Again, the coach that took over basically saw the saw the talent he had in that running back room and said, hey, we're gonna we're we're facing a lot of weak defenses here in the Mac. We're just gonna run a guy into the ground at Dylan McDuffie. He's probably not gonna go to the draft or anything like that. So just might as well run him into the ground, see what you can do out of him. So they're gonna give him plenty of carries as uh the weeks go on. Yeah. All right. Go ahead and move so, on. To- uh, we're, I guess we can move on. Yeah, like you said, we're going to go to um, Mag- Jaron Magham. I keep on saying it. Mag- Mangum. Magnum? Mangum. Mangum out of uh, University of South Florida on, on 12% of rosters. Yeah, uh, we touched on this guy last week. Um, honestly, with South Florida, it's just it's not even about the volume. But, I mean, when he does get the volume, it, like this past week against Temple, 26 attempts, 152 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, the weeks before, I don't think he cracked 100 yards. Yeah, he didn't crack 100 yards not. at all, but he's getting the touchdowns. Like, every game, he's getting two to three touchdowns. Like, in the like ever since the first game of the season when they lost to uh, North Carolina State, since then, he's just been scoring, getting into the end zone. So, I think that's where his value lies. But if he's getting 26 attempts going forward, then I can see him, you know, getting those 100 yards and plus the touchdown. So, yeah, that, that it could be a possible league winner for you, honestly, and especially in these upcoming weeks. See what uh, who South Florida's playing. They have any uh, favorable matchups? East Carolina, Houston. Ooh, man, they have a uh, you know a kind of Conference USA murders row, or not Conference USA, but the American Conference. Yeah, they have a little murders row of uh, ECU, Houston, Cincinnati, Tulane, and UCF. So I think he'll still find the end zone. Oh, he'll. I mean, he'll if they do some of those teams, home, he'll he'll be fine against. I think. Yeah, I think East Carolina and Houston, he'll be able to find the end zone. But once you get to Cincinnati and. Uh, Tulane. Well, and uh, you know, in this past week, UCF they kind of shut down Brandon Thomas a little bit, but we'll see how UCF looks uh, towards the end of the year. So, I mean, honestly, I think they were able to yeah, shut down yeah. Brandon Thomas because that quarterback uh, Peter Parrish, the most unfortunate name yeah. for a quarterback doing his first start, uh, perished, and they weren't able to. They they didn't they didn't fear his throwing ability, so they were able to key in on a uh, Memphis's running game. I think that's what killed him there. Um, but even so, like you said with Mangum, I I think USF's uh, staff has finally figured out what they have in Mangum, and that's a borderline bell cow role. Again, they saw that every time he was touching the ball in previous games, he was making his way into the end zone just somehow, some way. And so they're like, hey, this is probably our best back. This is the guy that's got a nose for the end zone, so let's keep him going. Finally gave him a workhorse load this past week, and bada bing, like you said, 152 yards and two touchdowns. Get that, roughly that, every single week. God, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I will say the caveat is um, UCF is kind of one-dimensional, where uh, USF is one-dimensional, to mm-hmm. where their quarterback and wide receivers, their passing game is almost non-existent. Oh, it's awful. They've only thrown this quarter. Yeah, the, the quarterback's only thrown two touchdowns for the entire year oh so far. Oh, God. And it's not looking good. They only have two wide receivers with one touchdown apiece. So, yeah, they can key in on that, but I think Man- uh, Magnum, Mangham, Magnum? Mangum. God, Mangum. Okay, there we go. Mangum. Uh, with the workload, if they continue on and realize that, then yeah, I think it could be a valuable asset. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I guess we can move on to our 
fourth running back, Ramir Johnson out of Nebraska. Uh, yeah, people, last week, uh, Ramir Johnson um, went off. I mean, before he was hurt, he was getting a lot of those um, those goal line touchdowns. And he just looked amazing when Adrian Martinez couldn't do anything else. Um, this past week, again, I mean. Oh, he was on by this past week. Yeah, he was on, on this. Yeah, he was on by this past week. So, I mean, the past week against Minnesota. Yeah, two touchdowns, eleven carries. So I mean, he's getting consistently like ten plus carries. Was well, it reception work as well? Take a look at that. Yeah, I mean the Michigan game, he had six or sevens for one hundred and five yards. Now, I, it's it's a little bit of a not to say a fluke game. I think you know he has the ability to do it. It's just a matter of can Adrian Martinez get him the ball to do that. Hmm. So I mean, I think going forward, he's I mean his best games, or as where he's like you know getting twelve to. 15 and then you know the, his highest uh, attempts or rushing were 19 against Michigan State and have the best of days but I think having that um that uh, starting running back for Nebraska when if Adrian Martinez can't get going you know it, it's gonna bode well for you I'm not saying he's gonna you know win you any leagues or anything but uh, if you're struggling at running back and you need a flyer I think Ramir Johnson is the perfect answer especially in PPR leagues I, I really put him on here for PPR leagues again he gets plenty of reception work out of the backfield as well so, go ahead and move on, I think, to our fifth running back of the day. We actually have six for you guys this week because, you know, I, could, I couldn't I could narrow it down. So, who do we got, Xavier? We have six. Ooh, man. All right. So, we have Braylon Allen out of uh, Wisconsin on an 11% of rosters. Yeah, a uh, true freshman running back for Wisconsin, and he looks like a stud. Um, I know this past week, Ches Malusi uh, kind of came back into his own against Purdue and had a great day. But Braylon Allen wasn't uh, terrible as well. And I think going forward, they know that Braylon Allen is their stud running back. And that Raheem is probably, I mean, uh, that Ches Malusi is going to probably be that number two going forward. So honestly, it's a Wisconsin running back. And I think for the future and for what we're going to project him to be, it's going to be really interesting to see if he could, uh, you know, do like the Wisconsin running backs of old, if we could have another Jonathan Taylor on our hands for the future. So for right now, I think he's a, a perfect flyer. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see what's Wisconsin's rest of the schedule. Um, that's the real question. Let's While you're looking that up, I'll, I'll kind of give my piece on Allen. I think again, a lot of people are going to point to the fact that he only had 12 carries for this past week, and like I understand that. But you're telling me that a guy who who had 12 carries for 140 yards and two touchdowns is not going to be a guy that has earned more carries for these upcoming games? Braylon Allen looks like the best running back on Wisconsin's roster right now. He is showing it on the field. Maybe it's different in practice. Maybe that's why the coaches made this decision. But even still, like when it comes to on-field production, Braylon Allen, the past couple of weeks, has really outshone Ches Malusi. And so I think you can absolutely expect him to be earning more carries as the season goes on. Uh, Xavier, you got that schedule pulled up uh, so you can tell us what you think about his future schedule. Yeah, you have Iowa. Um, you know, that'll be a little bit tough with their defense, but that's mainly just their DBs. And I think, you know, if Braylon and uh, Ches can run them down, I think they could be, you know, it'll be an interesting game for Wisconsin. Uh, mm-hmm. Rutgers, they, uh, you know, if they, they'll take away the one thing that you're good at. But I think with having two good backs, you know, that could bode well for him. Then you have Northwestern. Then you have Nebraska, which I don't know what's going on with them. Uh, sometimes they want to be good defensively. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Then you have Minnesota. Um, so, I mean – Honestly, I'm fine with Braylon Allen going for the rest of the season. I trust him. Um, and I think a lot of people, I think, uh, you know, a lot of others should as well, too. I mean, he's that talented. Absolutely. All right. Should I move on to our final running back of the week? Yes. It's going to be a surprise for me because I do not know. Ooh, oh, did I not Braylon put it on the show sheet? 
Uh, not at all. Oh, oops. Lamau. That's my bad. That's yeah, Jalen Knight out of Miami. Um, with just the the injuries that Miami has had, with you know all their you know Derek uh, Derek King being you know a mobile quarterback and his main ability in his legs, and then you lose um, God Cameron Harris, and then Don Chaney Jr. can never get healthy. Jalen Knight showed spurts last year where I was like, man, this guy could le- legit be a good number two, and now he's in that number one role. And uh, Miami really doesn't have anything much to play for, but they just beat uh, NC State. So that I mean, actually, I was looking into this. They have a path to the ACC uh, championship. They they <laughs> so my have take is revived. They they my have they have revived. a path. Oh man! So I guess they are playing for something now. Yeah. Uh, that, so yeah, we'll talk about their game later. But uh, their their win this past week was actually pretty big. Oh yeah, that's right. Because NC State beat like a. Clemson. Clemson. And just, so it's just a lot that could happen. But with Knighton going forward, he's a talented back. Um, they're going to give him that workload. And, yeah, going forward, I mean, why not? I mean, it, I mean, Van Dyke is looking more and more impressive each week. Um, well, it's a good so, thing I mean, that Knighton's that... a receiving back as well. His only reception, or his only yeah. touchdown from this past week was a receiving touch, touchdown. Yeah, so... So I mean, it's it's good. I mean, with Miami, you know, playing for something, it, it could build well for Knight. And I'm as long as he stays healthy, he's getting the the workload. He got 21 attempts. So I mean, obviously, it's going to take a while because he's not used to that. I mean, the past three games, yeah, he's gone from 15 to 17 to 21. So I like that it's you know increasingly getting higher and higher. So I mean. With Miami's schedule, what else do they have? I mean, they probably have to have some tougher opponents. Oh, they have Pitt, Georgia Tech, FSU, Virginia Tech, and Duke. I like so, him in almost every mean. single one of those games. Really? Okay. Well, I, I, Again, sometimes when you just have a guy with volume like this in both receiving and rushing, and he's going to be getting touches in both, I you really can't go wrong, especially in an ACC where, like like you kind of said, like there's no consistency pretty much whatsoever. Uh, pretty much the closest you can have to consistency is Pittsburgh so far, and they lost to Western Michigan in like week four. So it's like yeah. you, you, never, you never know what's going to happen in ACC week to week. Before we move on to our wide receivers, which uh, Xavier's going to lead through us on those, uh, I do want to throw one honorable mention out here. Uh, we all saw Chase Brown had an incredible day against Penn State, like well over 200 yards. Were, like If it weren't for the fact that he was injured, he'd absolutely be on this list. But I am going to throw the guy who is behind him, who got actually over 20 carries as well in that game and over 100 yards. That's Joshua McCray. So I think you absolutely should be keeping an eye on him as the week is going on, seeing what the news is with Chase Brown. So Joshua McCray, he might be worth you picking up as well. So I'm going to throw him out there. Xavier, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, if Chase Brown and Mike Epstein can't go, then yeah, might as well take that Illinois back in a Bellini offense. So might as well. 100 percent all right yeah i guess we can move on to wide receivers uh it's been a great week of wide receiver and a lot of shootouts and a lot of quarterbacks putting up a lot of stats throwing to their receivers so i'm excited to talk about these i guess we can move on to number one at perry right at 40 percent. don't know if we said this last week or the week before last because we knew he was going on by but that wake forest and um what was it army or navy i, can't, I just remember wake forest army it was Army. So yeah, they they were going back and forth. Sam Hartman looked like a legit pickup. That I'm honestly surprised we didn't include him because I do kind of. He's like over forty percent. That's why I didn't include oh, him. He is. 
yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, there's gonna be yeah, like I, mean, I, I I get this almost every single week where there's one at least one person like DMing me and they'll be like, Why didn't why didn't you put this person in the waiver wire picks this week? I'm like, y'all, they're over forty percent. I can't put them in. Yeah. So I mean AT Perry looks like I, I honestly it's really funny because I know a lot of people gave up on Jacuri Roberson, but he had himself a day against the army and AT Perry did as well too. And there, it was just a great tandem of wide receivers, both over hundred yards, both getting touchdowns. And I mean, it's just been more reliable. I think that it was A.T. Perry's third 100-yard game, and it has been in consecutive weeks. So, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, there's nothing else I can say. It looks like he is that wide receiver number one. And if he's mm-hmm. still the two, you're still getting 100 yards I would and say, still a touchdown. I would say it's, it's just a crazy amount of volume that this Wake Forest offense is providing for these receivers. Uh, like, obviously, Ja'Kerry Roberson had a just monstrous, monstrous day against um, – army he had over i think he had like 180 yards and three touchdowns or something like that he like he went off i would have included him here again over 40 percent, so couldn't but at perry again that wide receiver two even if he isn't wide receiver one like they ever said every single week that's still incredible volume that you're getting yeah. from him All right absolutely ready to move on when you are so good move on yeah uh you know i'll let you take uh take lead on this this is one of your my guys that you were uh ranting and raving about charleston rambot in miami yes. on 39 percent of rosters yes good with van dyke my my boy charleston rambo finally like again he had an incredible game against michigan state this uh earlier this year then he kind of fell off a little bit uh with that whole Derek king going down and just getting used to the new quarterback situation um People were Miami just couldn't figure themselves out for a while, and I'm really hoping that Charleston Rambo is just a clear wide receiver one moving forward for them. Nobody else is really kind of broken open as that clear number one for them, and he had a great, great game this past weekend. Nine receptions, 127 yards, two touchdowns. I again, I've been saying from the off season that if Rambo can get going, he's going to show everybody why he was even on the Oklahoma. Uh, starting lineup to begin with a lot of people kind of wrote him off after he transferred to Miami and I said no he I I thought him transferring to Miami was one of my favorite transfers from the past year because again Miami didn't really have a guy uh, maybe Mike Harley but other than that they didn't have any receivers that were really kind of stepping up Uh, heck three of them are in the transfer portal that people were talking about Um, so I'm really happy to see Charleston Rambo really finding his groove here and I really hope he can keep it up here as the weeks go on yeah, absolutely. Um, with Van Dyke and having that connection uh, with Manny Diaz and the coaching staff, like doing right by him, by getting him the ball now to where you have to have a balanced offense. And if he's your clear number one, might as well now. So I like Charleston Rambo. I, I loved him when he was at Oklahoma, like that first year where he was when it with CD Lamb. I thought he was going to be the next guy up. And then obviously things didn't happen and Marvin Mims showed up. But now that he's with Miami, it looks great for him. It looks like a perfect situation. So happy marriage. I guess we Absolutely. can move on um, to Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State, um, owned on 35% of rosters. So it, it's it's a little bit tough how I want to tackle this. Um, it, Iowa State's been having, not to say an up and down season, they only had two losses. Um, and they were two ranked opponents. Like Iowa was 10 at the time, and Baylor got ranked, I think, after they beat them. But Baylor's a good team. Um, with Xavier Hutcherson, it's all just dependent on Brock Purdy and the day that they're going to have. Uh, this past week against Oklahoma State, a good defense that I might say. He had 12 receptions, 125 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, that's probably been his biggest game I'm not uh, of the season so far, I might to say even his career. I mean, Xavier Hutcherson is a great wide receiver. He's always been that number one wide receiver for Iowa State. 
but it's just a, it's just all dependent on how if Brock Purdy is going to have a good day. So uh, that's the only uh, you know concern I would have. Um, I mean, Iowa State going forward. You, I mean, your biggest hurdle you've gotten over was Oklahoma State in terms of defense, but now you have to go against West Virginia. I mean, Texas is not going to play defense, so that could be a good game. Texas Tech definitely not going to play defense. Oklahoma, what they showed, we'll talk about that later against Kansas. Teams can score on them. And then TCU. So, yeah, I mean, Xavier Hutchinson can have a great day any day, uh, any Saturday of the, of the rest of the year. It's just all depending on if Brock Purdy wants to come out and show up. See, Xavier, I'm going to say a word here that I think you as a Broncos fan wish would just die already. Uh, but Brocktober is a real thing. And oh, God. Brock, Brock Purdy, like, go back and look at his career. After bye weeks, and once you get into October, that's when he always hits his stride. He struggles at the beginning of the year every single time. And you're starting to see him find his groove once again in these kind of mid-to-late games. And I think Xavier Hutchinson is going to be a massive massive beneficiary of that uh Xavier Hutchinson was a big big guy that a lot of people were hyping up in the CFF community before the season started obviously uh Iowa State got off to a slow start so he didn't quite build it up but these are the kind of games people were talking about where he's that clear number one wide receiver for them he's going to get peppered with targets um again 12 receptions 125 yards two touchdowns this past week if he can keep up a fraction of that he's going to be worth keeping on your rosters these upcoming weeks yeah, absolutely. Guess we can move on to our next wide receiver, Malik Williams out of Appalachian State, getting the upset on Coastal Carolina. And I just realized I ch- I chose a. Is he wearing a binky? Uh, yes, he is. I really hope that's real. Yeah, or I that I, think I've seen him I just picked a very bad Photoshop, which I apologize uh, to Malik I've... Williams if that's the case. <laughs> I think that's real. I think so soon wide receivers do different things. But uh, speaking of Malik Williams, had a great day against uh, Coastal Carolina. I don't know what happened with their defense. I think they were just kind of cruising along, uh, thinking they were going to have an undefeated season. And then, boom, comes App State, always just ruining everybody's, like, ranked hopes. Um, Malik Williams in this past week had uh, 10 receptions, 206 yards, and a touchdown. So, yeah, for the entire season so far, he only served uh, 100 yards once. Um, he's come close uh, one other time. And the touchdowns are always kind of sporadic, but I mean, honestly, with App State and if Chase Bryce can, you know, he want, when he wants to play like an actual QB that was like um, at the power five level, Malik Williams is his number one option. Um, I don't really have much else to say about him. I mean, I mean he, he is on the shorter side of receivers, but I mean, he still can like burst past DBs and expose them, obviously, handily, as you saw in the Coastal Carolina game. I mean, he's. I don't. I won't say he's the clear number one. I think he's a one A, one B with Corey Sutton. I think Appalachian State has two great pass catching options there. Either one can really burn the defense because again, you look at the stats with the Coastal Carolina game. Both of them went up for over a hundred yards. Just Malik Williams, who just had the hot hand in terms yeah. of receiving. Um, again, ten receptions, two hundred six yards, and a touchdown. Dude just went absolutely off in this game. Um, yeah, I think if, if Appalachian State can keep that passing game going forward, I think that he's absolutely worth a pickup because clearly Chase Bryce trusts him with a lot of these big 50-50 balls for games. Um, one thing yeah. I do I do want to touch on, you know, actually, no, I'll say I'll save that for the game recap. Um, okay. So we'll go ahead and move on to the, we'll go ahead and move on to our final receiver here. Yeah, uh, Ryan O'Keefe for UCF. Um, a lot of people wrote off UCF. I mean, I am one of those people that just, 
did not care enough about UCF anymore after Dylan Gabriel went down. Ryan O'Keefe had himself a great day. Um, he's only owned a 9% of rosters. Uh, I mean, it, it's tough with UCF because we've been talking about um, – God, who's the other guy? Robinson? No, it's not Robinson. Um, yeah, Jalen Robinson. Got, no, no, not Jalen Robinson. Oh, uh, Brandon Johnson. Brandon, Brandon Johnson. Um, yeah, being a, fun, uh, a favorite target for Mike McKean. But Ryan O'Keefe has always been a great number two. I didn't know if he was going to be great enough to be number one because uh, we saw last year with uh, Marlon Williams and then Jalen Robinson looked like the man up and Ryan O'Keefe was at number three. So uh, it's it's always tricky to uh, see. But I think if you're in a deeper league and you just absolutely need a wide receiver and with UCF um, and their upcoming schedule, if Mikey Keane can get a groove going, then, yeah, I don't see why not. Over the so, summer, really, um, I was um... – I was texting with Colin Decker from Campus to Canton, and I noticed on one of his shows, he kind of mentioned that there wasn't like a clear guy behind Jalen Robinson. And just based on practice reports that I had heard, when Jalen Robinson went down during spring practices, it was Ryan O'Keefe that stepped up and really became a favorite target of Dylan Gabriel during those practices. Um, And now we see that with Jalen Robinson out, uh, Ryan O'Keefe's role in this offense has really kind of exploded and not just in the passing game. Like he had a pretty mediocre passing day this past week, six receptions, 41 yards and a touchdown. But here's the other thing. The past couple of weeks, they've been involving him in a ton of jet sweep plays. Uh, Even this past week, he had three rushes for 41 yards and a touchdown. So if you're getting touches for him on the ground and through the air, I think that's absolutely worth checking out and, maybe keeping around on your roster just to see what happens the upcoming weeks. Yeah. All right. Yep, so yep, those, yep. those are our wide receivers for the week. And then we're going to move on to tight ends. Um, I'm going to be a little bit slower through this uh, than I normally am with uh, tight ends because we actually got a lot of different guys uh, that we don't normally put on here. Usually I just have like a list of the same guys over and over again. But there's a couple that caught my eye this week that I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, first one, I'll go through this one pretty quickly. Payne Durham, uh, Purdue, dropped below 40%. Y'all, he's back. He's healthy. Uh, that Purdue passing game is going to be looking for him, especially when they're down deep in the red zone. So, yeah, absolutely worth picking up, in my opinion. Xavier, got any thoughts on Mr. Durham? No, like you said, uh, the passing game, and especially those red zone targets for Durham, uh, could bode well. Um, so, yeah, that's mainly it. I think, you know, they don't really have, uh, you know, besides Dil- uh, David Bill, Payne Durham can, you know, kind of be that second receiver they still have Milton Wright as well too but mm-hmm. he hasn't been the greatest that we've kind of hoped that he would be so I think there's a lot of opportunities for him yep so we'll move on to our second one another guy that just dropped 40 through uh that dropped again uh below 40 percent we got Grant Calcaterra tight end out of SMU y'all that that SMU offense is going to be putting up some receiving touchdowns every single week and you're going to want to try to get a piece of that everywhere that you can because Rashi Rice, Danny Gray, Reggie Roberson, they're probably all off your waivers more than likely. And you're going to see Grant Calcaterra there um, sitting right there for you. So, Xavier, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, I'm a little bit conflicted because he started off hot, you know, getting a lot of red zone touchdowns and stuff like that for as a mm-hmm. tight end. And I was like, man, going forward, I don't need you to have 100 yards. If you're just getting like maybe 50 to 60 in a touchdown, that'd be great. And he's still getting that rec- like receiving work, but he's just not finding the end zone. I think he's found the end zone in the past five weeks. So it's a little bit concerning. But this past week, he had seven receptions for 90 yards. So if you're in PPR, that bode well for like 16. But he had a touchdown as well, didn't he? Or my dad, was that a dream? Not. 
He did that not. That was a dream. Okay. Seven receptions, 90 yards, no touchdown. So, yeah, it's it's been a little five-week touchdown drought. I mean, I guess going forward, what is, is there going to be more opportunities for SMU to put up a lot more points? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Houston, Memphis, UCF, Cincinnati, and Tulsa. Um, I think SMU is one of those top two or three teams um, in the American Conference. So, I mean, they'll still be able to put up points on anybody. Maybe not Cincinnati as much, but it'll be a good game. I agree. I think that'll be a good game. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to our third guy here. That's Jeremiah Hall out of Oklahoma. Um, dude is not a true tight end. I think they list him as a fullback. Um, Fantrax has him listed as a running back and a tight end. Um, they needed to come up with a whole new. Um, they need to come up with a whole new position for this man that is just titled uh, TV, and that's touchdown vulture. Because that's what he does every single week in this Oklahoma offense. And if he's getting touchdowns almost every single week out of this offense and just getting touches in more ways than one through the running game, through the passing game, without a clear like indication of what his, what his opportunity or what his position is, he's eligible at tight end. You might as well throw him in there. It's kind of like Jordan Rice out of, or uh, Jordan Myers out of uh, Rice. If they have that tight end eligibility and they're getting these work in multiple ways on, on a good offense in oklahoma or at least we think it's good um i see no reason why not to just go ahead and pick up jeremiah hall and work with him yeah i agree as well too um you know he's kind of worked his way in the offense as a little swiss army knife um just used in a weird multitude of ways um sometimes he'll break off 30 yards sometimes he'll be in the passing game and then find his way um i didn't like the fumble that he had this past weekend mm-hmm. so i mean but if you're not if your league's not counting fumbles or turnovers then he should be fine. Uh, I understand why he's at 7%. I don't expect him to jump up to 40 anytime soon. But if you're struggling at tight end, if your tight end hasn't been getting a lot of work, I think Jeremiah Howell, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be a guaranteed touchdown every week, but it's almost. Yeah, he's, it, 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 it's a lot better than a lot of tight ends where you're just praying and hoping the ball is thrown their way. We clearly see Jeremiah Hall as a part of the game plan every single week in one way or another. Whether he gets a touchdown or that, we don't know. But even so, he'll get his work every single week. So I think it's absolutely worth yeah. putting up there. All right, give me one second, and then we'll move on to our uh, fourth tight end. This is a guy I'm going to run through real quick. Peyton Hendershot out of Indiana. Even with all their offensive struggles, he's still getting work every single week. Pretty consistent. Um, usually around that 10 to 12 points every single week. So if you're just looking for a guy that's consistent... Peyton Hendershot is worth your Hendershot. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts? Yeah, like you said, consistency um, at tight end is not to say rare, but you kind of just need it for stability. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Peyton Hendershot is a great name. Yeah, run through that one real quick. And then uh, third guy here, this one I've had on the uh, past couple weeks. Again, uh, a lot of times the, the Nebraska offense, you're just looking for who has the hot hand and who Adrian Martinez is comfortable throwing with because a lot of their guys can't seem to stay healthy. So uh, I'm looking at Ramir Johnson there, but I'm also looking at tight end Austin Allen for Nebraska. Uh, past couple of games, he's had some pretty consistent work from Adrian Martinez, and I don't see any reason why that won't change going forward. So Xavier, what are your thoughts on Mr. Allen? Yeah, um, just a reliable target for Adrian. Um, nothing more to say. It's just all dependent on if Nebraska wants to show up and have a good game or not. I know they, uh, you know, they didn't have the greatest showing against Minnesota like a lot of people hoped. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what how they bounce back. They can still salvage some type of a season. All right. So those are all of our wave wire picks for the week. Um, I'm going to go ahead and run through these all real quick 
for you guys. Um, just kind of give you a recap of who we're recommending for this week. So at quarterback, we're recommending Garrett Schrader out of Syracuse, Hennon Hooker out of Tennessee, Frank Harris out of UTSA, uh, Cameron Rising out of Utah, and Anthony Richardson out of Florida. At running back, we are recommending six. We got Devin A-Chain out of Texas A&M, Dylan McDuffie out of Buffalo. We got Jaron Mangum out of South Florida. We got Ramir Johnson out of Nebraska. We got Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin. And we got Jalen Knighton out of Miami. Uh, wide receivers, we got Mr. A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. We got Charles Rambo out of Miami. We got Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State. We got Malik Williams out of App State. And we got Ryan O'Keefe out of UCF. And tight end, we got Payne Durham out of Purdue. Grant Calcaterra out of SMU. Jeremiah Hall out of Oklahoma. Peyton Hendershot out of Indiana. And then Austin Allen out of Nebraska. So with that, those are our waiver wire pickups for the week. And so now we got we got several games we want to we got to get to to talk about. A uh, lot of ranked upsets this weekend. No ranked v ranked matchups. So you won't see you won't see any of those in our helmet games for this week. But even still, we'll talk about. We had five un, or five ranked teams go down this past week. So let's go ahead and get started with that. Uh, with number thirteen, Coastal Carolina. 27, Appalachian State, 30. This was the Wednesday night game on ESPN. Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? You know what? Uh, I only have a few thoughts on this game. And I think uh, Coastal Carolina, after the season they had last year, there was the expectation of like, yeah, you, you had a cupcake schedule. You'll go undefeated. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of cruising along because they didn't have to do much. They weren't playing anybody. But App State came in, and they were their first, like – uh, they were their first honestly true test of like all right are you going to go undefeated this season because app state for some reason every year they always just find a way in the mix of like upsetting somebody important they've done it almost like i don't know for the past 10 to 15 years they've always had like at least one major upset of memory for michigan to south carolina to coastal um i don't think i can name another one probably if i thought about it a little bit harder but yeah, they, they called Coastal Carolina's card uh, this time. And I think what the real true issue lies in is like what the Grayson McCall, where they're using him now and the way they used him freshman year, he's not using his legs anymore. I think that was like one of his biggest strengths to what he had. And he's just not shown no ability to, you know, escape the pocket and run for what he's used to. I think he's just more been, you know, kind of constrained of like being a pocket passer. I, think, I mean, he's gotten better as a passer. I think Javon Healy, uh, you know, for the past, like his freshman year, has looked a lot better. Isaiah Lackley is getting a lot more work. But then in, in this game in particular, the run, the run game was just completely just shut down. Shamari Jones um, couldn't get going. And Grayson McCall, like I said, hasn't been able to run. And then even with their backups, you just couldn't get much going. And with Appalachian State, you know, hitting on all, like just exposing your defense through the air. So what is it much you're going to do? And I think, you know, in the past two weeks, Grayson McCall has only thrown like the ball maybe 23 times and that's been his highest. And then for the rest of the season, they haven't been giving him a lot of like, you know, reps at passing the ball and mm-hmm. and these type of games where it's going to be a little bit tougher. You have to be able to have the experience and to know, Hey, if I got to th- throw the ball 30 to 40 times to win this game, I know I could have the ability to do that. Not just having the coach hey, say, Hey, you know, we have this game in the bag. Uh, maybe we don't have to like show up your full uh, skill set which I understand in terms of like keeping your players fresh and stuff, but at some point you have to like develop your QB. I think the uh, Coastal has not done the greatest of jobs. We'll see going on to, to the future. Still have high hopes for Grayson McCall, but just wasn't the greatest of days uh, for Coastal Carolina in general. Again, I, I really think I'm not one to just say like, oh, this team slept on it. But again, like I, I think the theme of this past weekend was 
sleep uh it was it was a, it was a sleepy weekend for a lot of these big favorite teams now actually i, I think appalachian state might have been favored initially in this game the line moved to coastal carolina being favored but it was like a huge favorite or anything but i do think coastal carolina might have slept on this game a little bit with appalachian state getting just destroyed by louisiana but i think what they also forgot to mention there was the fact that did they just expect to get the number of turnovers that louisiana was given in that game because that game would have been a lot closer if it weren't for Chase Bryce just um, throwing the ball to uh, Louisiana defenders uh, throughout the entire game. And then they saw what happens when Chase Bryce is on point. Like we said, 200-yard receivers for uh, Appalachian State in this game, Corey Sutton and Malik Willis, or not Malik Willis, Malik Williams. Um, and then, yeah, like Xavier said, like Coastal Carolina only being able to muster up 55 yards rushing, I think was huge in this game. Because again, they've been kind of relying on that rushing game with uh, Shamari Jones, uh, Reese White, and uh, Braden Bennett whenever one of them was injured. So I wish we had put this game on our preview for last week. Because I'll be honest, this is an upset I probably would have called. I, I had I had a feeling throughout most of the week that Appalachia State would have been able to pull it off. Um, so I wish I was able to actually say that last week. But you know, uh, you can believe me, you cannot believe me. One last thing I do want to point out on this on this before we move on to the next game. The narrative that, like, Appalachian State is, like, this giant killer, like, is where ranked teams go to die. False. Actually, completely false. Uh, this is, they, they upset Coastal Carolina, obviously, this past weekend. Xavier, when was the last time that Appalachian State upset a ranked team? Before that? Ooh. Uh, probably the Michigan game. Michigan, 20, 2007. Yeah. And then they've just had this reputation as giant. Now, obviously, they've had big upsets. Don't get me wrong. Like, they clearly, yeah, they, they, I think where the narrative comes. They've upset, like, Power 5 teams, like uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, like, games like that. But they've never beaten another ranked team since then. I just, uh, I just thought that was interesting. We'll move on to our next game here. All right. Oh, God. Oh, God. Both, of, both of us just saw this and were like, oh, God. This is uh, definitely not, this is definitely not uh, the game, the most exciting game to talk about. What the hell happened here, Penn State? Uh, Illinois, 20, Penn State, 18, nine quote-unquote overtimes. I'll get to that in a second here, but we'll talk about the game first. Um, Penn State started hot in this game. It looked like that they were kind of like, again, relatively hot for Penn State. Like it looked like they were on their way to kind of soundly defeating Illinois. And then just things fell apart for them when they couldn't get their run game going. Uh, Sean Clifford got cold in the second half. And then Illinois ran all freaking over Penn State's rushing defense. Like Chase Brown is not the most talented running back in the world and was able to put up over 200 yards on Penn State. And Josh McCray, I mentioned him earlier, had 20 carries for well over 100 yards. So it's like Penn State's rushing defense was absolutely abysmal in this game. I think it was like 367 yards they gave up to two running backs. So I'm not sure what happened there. And then we get to the overtime, and that, like that's what everybody wanted to talk about, which is neither one of these teams could score for some reason. And again, I'll get on that rant here in a second. But Xavier, what are your thoughts on the actual game itself? Yeah, um, I've had the suspicion about Penn State for a while. Um, I know I probably rag on some teams and say some vague things, but I mean, if you just look at Penn State, they haven't had that running back in a while. I mean, a lot of people were hoping that Noah Kane would be that guy. And if he was healthy, like when he came in as a freshman, then I absolutely would have bought in to say, hey, Penn State has the next, you know, 
possible great running back, but he just got injured early. And he's has he's came he's come back, but he hasn't looked like what we all hoped him to be. Mm-hmm. With Kevon Lee uh, behind him too, it's just not the same. Yeah, I mean, you're you're getting more. I mean, honestly, it is the same. It's more of the same with Noah Kane. You're not getting much production out of that. So, and then with Sean Clifford, Sean Clifford. I mean, for all the uh, you know people that were saying like, yeah, if he was still in for the Iowa game, he would have won the game. I believe that as well too. But Sean Clifford, we're not going to just build him up as like he was going to be this great quarterback that Penn State had. Penn State doesn't have, they have, one of their biggest knocks is that they don't have a quarterback. We never really ever have a quarterback. Now, I think this upcoming year where you get Drew, uh, Drew Allers or Ehlers, um, the freshman QB that they've been hyping up for the past uh, recruiting cycle, maybe that'll uh, be a little bit of a difference. But honestly, I think Penn State has just been predicated on this defense. And I mean, you lost a lot in the draft these past few years. And now this is kind of like a rebuilding uh, season where like, all right, let's see what talent we have left in the, uh, what we recruited. And honestly, that rush defense got exposed by two, not to say mediocre running backs. They're still great, but they weren't like, you know, first round or day two, day three. Listen, these, these are not uh, going to be guys that are going to be starting on Sundays. Yeah. So uh, it, it's just really confusing uh, as to like how you weren't able to like stop them at all. And also like, your biggest strength was your passing game. And I mean, I understand Sean Clifford's not the greatest and I, I'm not going to blame Jahan Dotson of the wide receivers, but just to, I, I don't know what Illinois had on your like receivers that day to where you shut down three great, re- not, well, not great. Uh, you shut down Jahan Dotson at 69 yards. And I think uh, Lambert and Parker Washington are th- those next guys up, but you pl- completely made them non-factors. And I mean, I, honestly, that probably was the game plan of like, if we take away the receivers, what can they do? So, yeah, then it got to the nine overtimes. Neither team could score because I could tell they were both gas. Illinois, I knew they weren't going to be able to put anything through the air. So it was just like, well, Penn State, you have to respond. Which is ironic because the, the scoring two-point conversion was put through the air. Oh, yeah. So it's just like, all right, the irony of it all. And now the Penn State, you have to respond. And you let nine overtimes just keep on going and going. So overall, it, it just wasn't a good showing for Penn State. Honestly, it's not really a good uh, – thing for the big 10 because everybody was hyping up like all right now people are starting to feel like oh yeah maybe the sec is not the best conference i'm like all right calm down there are still they still have to play a lot of these other teams and play against each other in that east but now that penn state doesn't look that attractive anymore like all you have to do is take away the receiving threats i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rag on the big 10 as a whole here i'm gonna mostly mag- rag on penn state this was just a disappointing game all around there was absolutely no reason for them to have just fallen flat on their face like they did in this game. Um, maybe is that they were looking ahead to Ohio State next week and they figured they could just sleepwalk through a game against Illinois. Like, again, I don't like to do those kind of narratives, but that's just that's the only way I can just visualize what happened here because Penn State's not a bad football team. They're not. They beat Auburn, who's looking better and better every single week. Uh, granted, they had a home field advantage in that game, but even still, like they're not a bad football team. There's no Illinois is Illinois is a team that has struggled this year in a many, many different games. There's really no reason why Penn State should have lost this game, but they did. And again, I'm having a hard time just wrapping my head around it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm again disappointed, Penn State, on this one very much so. And then I'm also just gonna rag on the whole new overtime thing. Golly, this these are not like everybody's like, oh, it's the highest overtime uh, total in history. Or like this is like the like nine overtimes. Like 
No, 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 no. This was two legitimate overtimes and then basically the football equivalent of penalty kicks afterwards. Like everybody talking about like, oh, nine overtimes. It must have been like, like that must have been as exciting as like LSU Texas A&M was a couple of years ago. Hell no, it wasn't. All we did was just watch two inept offenses uh, screw up. I almost cursed there. Screw up play after play in what were overtime periods constantly until one of them just basically got lucky and managed to actually pull something off for once. Golly, I'm so, I'm, I'm, we've had one year of this new overtime system and I'm sick of it already. This is dumb. This is straight dumb. I, I like it. I, I, I don't! That, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, you, I honestly, I think it was just a terrible game to display. I think it's gonna be great for the sport as a whole. I don't think it's going to be as exciting as like where we had. They changed the rules to avoid injuries and to avoid multiple overtimes. Guess what we got with this new thing? Nine overtimes, the quote-unquote record, and Arthur Sikowski got hurt in overtime. It failed on both accounts. Yeah, but you're only using a one-game sample size, so we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, it did not look pretty, I will say. It was definitely not the game to rant about the new overtime rules. I don't know. It, it To me, it, it was everything wrong with the new overtime rules. We're talking too long in this game. We'll move on to yeah. another ranked upset. But also, was it an upset? Because Iowa State was favored by seven points. Uh, Oklahoma State, 21. Iowa State, 24. Xavier, I'll let you get started on this game. Yeah, I don't know if we said this on the podcast or how I felt about Oklahoma State, but I said they weren't, I didn't view them as a top 10 team. I thought they were a little bit fraudulent. I don't know if I said that or told you that in confidence, but I just knew, I was like, Spencer Sanders, I don't feel good about this. Jalen Warren, as much as I love him for fantasy, don't feel good about him. And I mean, Spencer Sanders came out of the game and it looked good for, for a little while. It did look good. But then you had Oklahoma, I mean, then you had Iowa State who just came up coming off of a bye and Brock Purdy is clicking on all cylinders to where he only threw like, he, he only missed on six passes. He is completely. Yeah, he had a great day. Uh, Brees Hall didn't even have the greatest of days. So like you, you basically did your job against Brees Hall and you let Brock Purdy beat you. And I, I don't know how you don't capitalize off of that. Spencer Sanders was good. Like three touchdowns and 225 yards, I think is a good day. But Jalen Warren, just what I mean, I guess the Iowa State defense finally decided to wake up and just stop him. He had 18 carries, 76 yards, nothing. Uh, I mean, not to say it's nothing, but compared to what we're used to of like, you know, Oklahoma State running back of getting 20 plus, you didn't give me much. Mm-hmm. And then the receivers, I mean, Oklahoma State's receivers aren't the greatest in the world. I mean, Brennan Presley, we've kind of like held up after that bowl game we saw last season. Like, oh, yeah, he's that. Nice hey, Martin's guy. been pretty consistent um, this year. Tay Martin definitely has been pretty consistent. He's gotten a touchdown this game, and uh, Brian Presley had a good game as well. But it just, it, it just, when it got down late, Oklahoma, uh, Iowa State was just the better team. I mean, Brian Presley also fumbled the ball as well too. So mm-hmm. I mean, it was just more of a cleaner game for Iowa State. So that's 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 really all I can say. I mean, just Iowa State played quote unquote the perfect game for them. I think what we learned from this game. I agree with you that a lot of things had to go right for Iowa State in this game. Actually, no, I'm not going to say that because there was, David, I don't know if you've seen this yet. One of the biggest BS calls I've ever seen in my entire life 
was excessive celebration. They called back a touchdown because of this for Iowa State. I saw that. Oh it my! It was dumb. It was like he just did this. Like I don't know if he, like, you can't really see me doing he it. Like the, no, no, but I, he did that, and then he did the, like the uh, the prime Deion Sanders like knee high like skip or whatever they he used to do, and I was like. It's it, don't don't do this. You're doing okay. the NFL thing of like taking the fun out of like sports. Like he was clearly going to get to the end zone. It was a touchdown. Like honestly, let's let these, these kids happen. over celebrate sometimes and let a defender catch up to them. They'll learn their lesson real quick. Because yeah. we've we've seen like plays of like a defender just celebrating really early and they drop the ball at the one yard line and then you get exposed. Or you and like th- like somebody's like throwing up the deuces. They slow down just a little bit and then somebody tackles them. Like let the kids learn yeah. the lessons on their own. Except the celebration might be one of the dumbest calls in sports. I'm going to be real. Oh, absolutely. Like, I don't understand the point of it. I really don't. Like, oh, it might hurt your like, feelings. I, what? Yeah, I'm beating you at a sport. It's competition, and I'm like, the fans are here to watch that. That's part of the entertainment. I don't want to just watch sports for, like, the rules. Like, I want to watch it for everything. Like, if, theatrics you, of it all. if you're going to do it, like, do it for, like, a legitimate reason. Like, if a player just goes up and screams in a defender's face... And like, just like, won't get off of them. Yeah, like maybe throw yeah, a flag absolutely. then, but not like if somebody gets in the end zone and they do a little pose or something like that. Don't throw a flag. Like, what is wrong yeah. with people? What is wrong with people? Anyway, I don't know. Um, it's, I, it's really, it's really close. Um, what some other thoughts say, I had? Um, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm I, was, I was gonna mention the. No, you're good. I was gonna mention the old piss. I was like, I don't know if that's going too far, but it was pretty funny when I first saw it. <laughs> when I saw it. That was that because of the way that game ended. That was a little funny. And also, it, it set off a whole chain of reactions for, like, coaching changes and everything. I don't think the college football world is the same as it is right now if it weren't for Elijah Moore doing that. Um, yeah. But even so, my thoughts on this game. I think we learned more from this game is less that Oklahoma State was overrated, even though I do think top 10 was too high for them. I still think they're a legitimate, like, top 20, top oh, 15 absolutely. team. Uh, in the country, I think they're going to have a great record by the end of the year. I think it's more of that people wrote off Iowa State too early. Now, obviously, two early season losses. Hard to overcome that if you want to go anywhere in terms of uh, championships or anything like that. Clearly, Iowa State's not making the playoffs or anything like that, even if they win the Big 12 somehow. But like I said before, Iowa State, over the past couple of years, has just shown an ability to improve as the season goes on, especially after the bye week. So I think you, I'm not going to be surprised if Iowa State, by year's end, is considered a legitimate top 20, top 15 team, which is where a lot of people really had them around the start of the year. Maybe we had them a bit too high in the top 10. But if they're sitting there in like the 15, 20s right about there, I would not be surprised whatsoever. I think Iowa State's a good team going forward. Yeah, so. I agree so as well. I think uh, we'll touch on this later with Oklahoma, but that's going to be a great game if that's the Big 12 championship. I hope Iowa State uh, gets that matchup and we'll get to see a great game. In the well, end. we got to see them play for the first time. We... Yeah, we do. We do. All right, we'll so, go ahead. And... Ooh, it could happen in the regular season. So, yeah. We'll go ahead and move on to our next game here. All right. NC State 30 Miami 31. This, I think, was like the forgotten game of the night last night because, like, there were so many games going on. A lot of people were kind of rooting with Tennessee, maybe to upset Alabama and stuff like that. And then once all the other games kind of ended, I, I looked back and I saw this game was still on. Like, with, with everything else just kind of quieted down right around the same time, this game was still on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this game. Uh, it was worth it. Worth it 100%. Uh, 
probably like, I don't know what number NC State like ranked team was this year, but this was a big win for Miami in my opinion. Uh, they absolutely could have just phoned it in. Um, there's lots of talk about maybe Manny Diaz being fired at the end of this year. I'm not quite there. Um, I don't. I think there's just too much buyout money for him right now. I think he probably gets at least one more year before they consider that. Uh, but even still, huge, huge win for Miami. They've lost a lot of really close games this year. I think this was a big morale booster to hold on and win against a ranked opponent in NC State. So, Xavier, do you got any thoughts on this game? Yeah, this is a grit and grind game. I think Miami started out hot, and then NC State responded appropriately by uh, hitting field goals and getting some touchdowns. It was like 17 to 14, closest I saw like at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. And then um, I kept on tuning in and out, and I was like, man, I, I honestly don't know who's going to win this game. I mean, the NC State run, uh, run game was completely non-existent. I mean, Ricky Pearson and um, Donovan Knight, they didn't do much. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised. I was like, I mean, they haven't uh, really, like, exploded onto the scene, like, all this college football season, but I thought that was a good little uh, running back tandem, especially against Miami with terrible rush defense. You did really well. You held, like, four running backs or five guys to under like, – their whole rushing uh, – they held them with 111 yards rushing. Total. That's great for Miami. Touchdown. Oh, absolutely. Like, that is a great win. And even though you didn't rush the ball well yourself, um, I think I have to give props to Tyler Van Dyke. He's just been – a great true freshman so far. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. people were thinking uh, Jack Garcia or Jake Garcia. Um, God, it's either Jack or Jake. We're going to find out. Jared's gonna it is, it, it's Jake. It's Jake. It's um, Jake but, Garcia yeah. and Jack Plummer. Oh, God. Whatever. <laughs> so many Jakes and Jacks. All want to be quarterbacks. But anyways, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, honestly, we'll see going forward. I mean, I, I don't know what Derek King's future is going to look like at Miami. Uh, if he comes back next season because of the injury or pandemic or extra year eligibility, but that's a legit, that's going to be one of the interesting quarterback uh, competitions in the country between all three of those guys. I think, um, I, th- I, I think, my I think King's now. done from what it sounds like. He might just be done with football. It, it just can't okay. stay healthy. Um, I do think yeah, Van so. Dyke versus Garcia. Cause I think Van Dyke is running away with the job right now because Garcia has been injured. Uh, that's been the yeah. main thing. So if, a healthy Garcia and Van Dyke go at it in spring camp. Uh, this going to be a quarterback battle to watch. I have both of them on my dynasty Absolutely. roster, I'm, so I'm going to win that battle no matter what. Yeah, I think uh, Van Dyke has definitely taken the lumps. That UNC game wasn't the greatest where he threw like three picks. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been good games where he's thrown a touchdown. Uh, he rushes a few. Like he, he's shown uh, the times where he can escape the pocket and you know do some things. Not for like big games or anything like that, but I think, you know, at first build being 6'4", 220 pounds, and for what he's doing right now with the Miami team that's kind of depleted at different positions, uh, he's doing a good job of managing and kind of uh, exceeding a little bit of my expectations of what Miami would have looked like with a backup QB, especially a freshman too. I would definitely agree. And I, I think he might, I might be crazy saying this, but he might be a better overall passer than D.R. King was. And I think he's going to help unlock this receiving, uh, these uh, receivers that Miami's kind of been having uh, trouble getting going so I'm, I'm very excited to see what van dykes does here in the future for miami nc state you still got everything in that you want in front of you You got two losses on the year um only one of them in the acc so honestly you could still win that uh atlantic division uh go to the acc championship so y'all keep it going y'all been doing pretty well this year maybe trying to figure out what went wrong with the rushing in this game but even still uh well done miami like legitimately congratulations on this win this is a big one for y'all mm-hmm 
go ahead and hit our last helmet game here of the week. Uh, one last ranked upset. Wisconsin 30, number 25, Purdue 13. Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Uh, you shut down David Bill. Uh, you did your job. Um, that's all you really have to do to stop Purdue. Um, their running backs have been decimated with injuries, so they can't get the run game going. And Wisconsin has two uh, two great running backs. Uh, well, one good one and one that gets a lot of volume that can be good. Um, you have Braylon Allen and you have Ches Malusi that ran all over Purdue. Um, we knew Purdue was ranked only for the reason, solely for the reason that they beat Iowa, a number two team. Well, and they had a good now, record too. Kind of being, they had a good record too, but it's not like you really, you know, were beating great quality, getting quality wins. Iowa was definitely your biggest, and that's how you got in. But now you've kind of humbled back to where Wisconsin had a good win. Um, you know, I like I said, uh, you know, a few weeks I didn't really. Uh, view Wisconsin as a quality win for a lot of these programs in the Big Ten and even out of conference for like Notre Dame and stuff like that. But doesn't mean that they're a terrible football team. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think maybe a little bit overrated coming into the season as where people were just hyping them up as like, oh yeah, Wisconsin uh, with, um, God, I forgot his name, the quarterback, because oh, Graham Mertz. And, um, this is coming from the guy who picked year. Wisconsin to win the Big Ten exactly. West this year, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, I was, you know, I fell for the hype. But then after I saw that first game, I was just like, no, I can't see this anymore. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's a good win. You know, any win that you get on a Saturday in the Big Ten is a good win. So congratulations, Wisconsin. is good for the program and for as a whole. You just, I, need I, a win. You just have a win. I do think this is a big win for Wisconsin. Again, just getting a, getting an actual ranked win, I think, helped. Even though, again, whether or not you really think Purdue is deserving to be ranked or not, um, based on just their win over Iowa, Um I think it's a big morale booster for Wisconsin. And again, Wisconsin, another one of these teams where technically they still have the division in front of them. They still have to play Iowa. They still have to play Minnesota. They got a lot of big uh, Big Ten West games coming up. They kind of already taken their lumps from the East already uh, with Penn State, I believe. Yeah, they already played Michigan as well. So they've already taken their lumps from the, uh, from the East. So now they just have their Big Ten West games ahead of them. They win those games out. Your prediction of them winning the West could easily come true, and I think they realize that. They got two, like you said, two good running backs that I think they can uh, share the load between, between Malusi and Allen going forward, and I think that will help them not be so reliant on just one guy going forward. Graham Burtz is going to continue to be a reliability um, going forward, in my opinion, uh, especially against a good uh, Iowa State defense, or Iowa State, Iowa defense. Uh, he's, he's turnover prone. Uh, in terms of his passing, and Iowa State, or I I said it again, Iowa, I think it easily capitalized on that going forward. But even so, this is a big one for Wisconsin. I think that um, if they have their goals ahead of them in the Big Ten West, this is it right here. This this kept them alive. All right. So with that, we can now move on to some other games of interest that weren't necessarily upsets, or anything like that, or great. But there are some there are some interesting uh, final scores for this week. Uh, first, we will go up with number two Cincinnati twenty seven on the road Navy twenty. Uh, I'll I'll get started with this one because again, this kind of just adds to my theme of this weekend. We had a lot of heavy favorites just struggle against very lesser competition, in my opinion. This is probably one that I would. I wouldn't say excuse the most, but I can understand a little bit. Navy's a triple option team. Uh, I believe they were coming off a bye, uh, if I remember correctly. 
so they had time to prepare for Cincinnati. Triple option teams are no- notoriously hard for uh, lower classification schools to prepare for because they just don't have the uh, facility, or not the facilities, they just don't have the coaching staff that are able to coach them up a week ahead of time for these games. So they just kind of have to grin and bear at these games sometimes. Yeah, Cincinnati uh, winning this game only by seven. I know a lot of people, there's a lot of big Cincinnati fans out there uh, for, in terms of the playoff, and I'm one of them. I really do think Cincinnati, if they went out and continue to do what they had been doing, which was just blowing everybody out of the water that they could and win these Power 5 games on the road, which they did, I think they absolutely were worth considering putting in the playoff. A lot of them were saying like, oh, this can't be the game that keeps them out. Like, that won't be fair. Y'all, it's a seven-point win over a pretty bad Navy team. I think they were one in six on the year. This This is a rough, rough result for Cincinnati. And like, I just gave the excuses that I did for playing a triple option team. So like on, on some level, I get it. Um, but even still, like this does hurt Cincinnati a little bit, in my opinion. Now, I'm not ready to say it keeps them out of the playoff. I don't think it should keep them out of the playoff. But I do think it does kind of indicate that Cincinnati might not be quite as dominant compared to their competition as we originally thought. So, Xavier, what are your thoughts on this game? Um... I'm not going to go that far. I think Cincinnati is still dominant. I just think it was just an odd game for Desmond Ritter. Um, he didn't have the greatest of showings uh, against Nate, uh, Army. And it was just really weird going back and forth. I remember you sent the text that uh, Army's beat, uh, or Navy's beating uh, Cincinnati. Uh, like it's, and it was like the first quarter, uh, first few minutes, and it was like 3-0. And I was like, Jared, stop this. Cincinnati's going <laughs> to come back and then, you know, blow them out. But it was just a back and forth affair of just like turnovers, a uh, few touchdowns here and there late in the game. It was like, all right, Cincinnati looks like they're going to lead away. And then uh, you see the drive where Cincinnati uh, Navy kicks a field goal and then they get a touchdown there in the fourth quarter. And a lot of things happen to where I'm just like, that was a wild fourth quarter. Um, I, I just think you just, you know, not, not to say if you're not like one of the top two or three teams, um, you're going to have one of those games to where a team just sneaks up on you and you're going to have to take your lumps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Cincinnati goes out and they understand the mistakes that they made from this past week and they go on like a little war path of just blowing out teams from now on, I think people will uh, overlook this uh, close win over Navy and kind of forget all about it because I still think they're one of the best four teams in the nation. I mean, I, we'll get into another game where I think that there is a fraudulent team in the top four, but I understand why they're there and why they could possibly be there at the end of the year, which I don't like. It's a, it's a good thing that Cincinnati I'm letting you so start on that one. Oh, yeah. Is that the next one? It's the next one. All right. Yeah, I guess uh, that's all I have to say about that game. I'm ready to touch on this game. All right. Let's go ahead and move on into it. And we got number three, Oklahoma, 35 against Kansas on the road at Kansas. Uh, Kansas scored 23. Xavier, go ahead. Yeah. uh, Don't look at this score and just assume that Oklahoma was just like on cruise control the entire time. Kansas legit had a shot to upset Oklahoma. Kansas, a one in like what? They were one in five, one in six coming into the year. Or I think they're one. In, they I think they're one in six. I don't. I, I think they've won at least one game. Yeah, I know they won a game, but I was like, you're at the bottom of the Big Twelve. Jason Bean, like we, I mean, Jason Bean has had an okay season where I'm like, all right, there's you've shown some some uh, a few highlights and Devin Neal. Everybody's loving the running back for uh, Kansas going forward. He had a monster game. I think Devin Neal honestly was probably the best player on that field yesterday. 
Oklahoma came in, and it was so funny watching the game because I was watching. Yeah, it was. It's really surprising. Um, Oklahoma came in this game, and I'm gonna paint the picture of pregame. I'm watching Oklahoma, Kayla Williams, the receivers, the running backs, Kennedy Brooks, all smiling, just having being real relaxed. And you see Kansas on the other side, looking like they're on a like ready for war. And I didn't have the sneaky suspicion just yet. I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's Oklahoma. They know they have the talent to win. Then I get into this game, and uh, Kansas goes up 7-0. And I'm like, um, okay, that's interesting. I, I, I know your defense was not that great, but it's it's okay. I can I can allow seven points. I wasn't expecting a shutout. But then you go on, and you keep Kansas in this game where you can't score in the first half. And at that point, I'm questioning everything, where I'm like, is this really going to be the game that Oklahoma loses? Is Are you telling me you're going to lose to Kansas? And I have a- made, And they made me... I have several oh. Texas friends that were ready to be free. They were ready to be free because if, if Oklahoma lost to Kansas, they would have gotten rid of every Texas lost to Kansas joke they ever would have been able to throw at them. Yeah, and it, it just was so funny to where at, at the halftime, Kansas made the announcement. Like, literally the announcers for the game were like, yeah, forget tickets. The game is free. Tell anybody that you know, <laughs> your mom, your grandmother, your sister, your cousins, your brothers, that this game is free doors are open and fans just started flooding in feeding the energy because that game was like nobody showed up to that game it was about probably like some diehard students in the student section and just maybe some family members and then you have like an almost packed stadium nothing too crazy but definitely you saw exponential growth and it started to have some belief to where if i want to say anything katie brooks did not have the greatest of days in that first half and even in the second half i think like he probably showed uh he showed why he was that lead back and maybe the second or third uh i'm not the second or third uh the third and fourth quarter but there was just so much wrong with the i, I don't i know they were missing mike woods and they were missing mario williams so i will add that as uh, not not to say that's an excuse but it's just there for context but caleb williams struggled he threw some really early turnovers um I'm trying to think somebody fumbled either it was him or one of the running backs or no Jer- uh, jeremiah hall fumbled the ball as well too in that game so it was just a lot of penalties and turnovers that just kept holding Oklahoma back. And I was like, this looks like an undisciplined football team. And then I started to hear like the rumblings of, oh, is this the Spencer Rattler game where he's going to come back and like save Oklahoma? And I was like, nah. please, for the love of God, like, Kayla Williams owner, don't put that man. Because if Kayla Williams was the starter and there was no Kayla Williams in college football, Spencer Rattler would have lost that game. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Because I, I will give a lot of praise to Kayla Williams. To where the only reason I say Devin Neal was the better player in that game is because I didn't see, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. He did everything he was supposed to do. And Jason Bean had a good day as well, too. But Caleb Williams made some really crazy plays. I think I can recall. There's two plays I can remember. There's a fourth and third that he runs for a touchdown. And then the big play to where uh, Kenny Brooks uh, gets blown up and on a fourth and one. And he's knocked back two yards. And Caleb Williams just comes up to Kennedy Brooks and snatches the ball away from him. And runs for the first down. And I'm thinking to myself, I was like, how is this legal? And no, that's, I, I that's like, the thing. I, again, I, I, need, I need to step in here for a second on this one. Because, like, it's cliche to say, like, oh, this game wasn't as close as the score indicates or anything like that. I 100% true in this case. Kansas had a chance to win this game. Because everybody's looking at, like, you look at this, you're like, oh, they, they had 12 points. Like, there's no reason why Kansas had a chance to win this game. No, Oklahoma scored after they converted that fourth down. Um there's legitimate questions of whether or not that play was legal or whether or not a lot of people were um 
whether or not a lot of people were um whether it was a legal forward lateral or and stuff like that like because honestly yeah it's a risk but if they're gonna allow that i could see more teams doing that in the future um so i think again i think you're you're opening a can of worms with that play i think and pandora's box has been open yeah oklahoma should not feel proud of this win whatsoever um 35 in the second half i guess is pretty impressive but again it's kansas it's kansas you were favored by 38 and you didn't put up 35 like good lord all right we talked about that game long enough we'll go ahead and move on and we'll hit up uh tennessee on the road at number four alabama another one of these games where big favorite I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say Alabama sleptwalk. Uh, I don't want to say Alabama sleptwalk because, you know, it's Alabama. That's not their culture. They, they never sleepwalk through games, really, in my opinion. If they get beat, they get legitimately beat. Tennessee put up a damn good fight against Alabama. And if you take away the fourth quarter, that like Alabama was really neck and neck with Tennessee for most of this game. Uh, again, they really pulled away in that fourth quarter. Tennessee just ran out of gas, both on offense and on defense. Um, but yeah, again, this was a pretty stressful game until it wasn't. What are your thoughts on this game, Xavier? Yeah, that first half, um, I think a lot of these teams are giving us, uh, you know, as Georgia fans, we're getting a lot of film on Alabama. But I will say this, um, Bryce Young is looking a lot better, and that scares me. Uh, he had two rushing touchdowns this game. Um so if he's starting to realize that he is a mobile quarterback again and Bill O'Brien is uh, not holding him back, then that opens up a lot uh, for that Alabama offense. Mechie has resurfaced. Um, I know a lot of people may have given up uh, and said that maybe Jameson Williams has taken over as that number one wide receiver, but I had begged to differ. I think Jameson Williams is a great receiver. I think he is probably their most dynamic receiver in terms of speed and able to break away for those big ones. But in terms of being that number one, I think you have to do a little bit of everything. And I think I love I, I love Betsy. I think this is the perfect game. I was one of the people that started him, and I was really happy that I did. Um, Brian Robinson, um, great running back. Uh, you know what? A lot of people did sleep. I was one of those people that did sleep. I was like, you aren't as dynamic as, you know, a Najee or a, um, God, who were the running backs before Najee? There's Damian, Damian Harris. Harris. Um, you had Josh uh, Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. So, like, you had a long lineage of just great, prolific guys. And then you have Brian Robinson, the hard nose, stuck it out for four years, knows the offense, hard runner, and he's doing well for the past few weeks. He's an every week starter at this point. Uh, he's going to get those touches and he's going to get the volume. Uh, Bama's becoming a lot more balanced to where they're getting balanced enough to where he's getting 20 carries and still being able to produce at a high level and they're still throwing the ball enough to where receivers are getting hit um for touchdowns so i think overall this it was just the story of the first half of like tennessee uh being able to expose a few things i know alabama's dealing with some things a linebacker that saving doesn't like with a hearing toe toe and a few other guys so he'll probably want to clean that up as the season progresses but um alabama shows why uh as i just got the notification they're clearly the number three team in the nation uh did, did they move up yeah um, yeah fair enough. again like i i yeah, it's fair. A lot of people, a lot of people were mad about like, oh, Alabama didn't drop very far for losing for an unranked team. Y'all, they're Bama. They're Bama. Yeah. They're gonna show you week after week that they're gonna be one of the four best teams in the country. Now, if they lose in the SEC championship, people, yeah. they're probably not gonna make the playoff. Uh, but even still, like Bama, Bama's Bama's still gonna Bama. That that's the, that's the port, that's the lesson from this segment. Um, if there were going to be a two-loss team in the playoffs, it would be Bama this year. <laughs> yeah, you're prob- probably not wrong. Um, 
Anyway, we got three more games to get through here. We'll get through these pretty quick. Um, next up, we got uh, number 10, Oregon. Uh, barely survives UCLA, uh, 34 to 31. And I say barely survives because UCLA was coming back on them on a final drive. And pretty much DTR gets knocked out of the game on that final drive. Ethan Garbers comes in. I think Ethan Garbers is going to be good going forward. But, you know, make a, I think he's a redshirt freshman. Um, you make a freshman mistake. Uh, ball gets picked off. Oregon wins the game. They survive. Uh, but they were driving down the field pretty well until that point. So, again, just another another top 10 team. Just slow rolling through some of these competitions. Now, again, UCLA was actually favored in this game, so I'm not going to knock Oregon too much because this was expected to be a pretty good game. But also, it should tell you that if Oregon is a top 10 team and they weren't really favored, they were already an underdog to UCLA, an unranked team, I think I should tell you that Oregon's probably not as good as we think they are. What are your thoughts, David? Yeah. I think we called this game perfectly. I think it was just the talent, um, mm-hmm. you know, that Oregon displayed. I mean, without uh, – a lot of people want to uh, start saying that without C.J. Verdell, the offense has just gone to nothing, which I think C.J. Verdell was definitely a part of. I've seen the meme that uh, uh, Oregon wide receivers – I forgot what it was. It was on the college game day show, and it was really funny. And I, I can, oh, it was like, uh, they said Oregon receivers are like Ben Simmons in the playoffs <laughs> uh, for all you basketball fans out there. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, the Oregon receivers haven't shown up as much, but Travis Dye, uh, a personal uh, favorite of me and Jared's that we thought he was probably the better back for Oregon is showing up. So I, I think he didn't get the yards, but he sure got those touchdowns. Oh yeah. He, he definitely got those touchdowns. He had like what, four? He had so. four touchdowns in the day. I think less than 30 yards. <laughs> yeah. Really? Less than 30? I thought it was a little bit more than that. But maybe maybe it, we'll it, it, at one point, he had four touchdowns in less than 30 yards. I sent a, I sent a message yeah. to one of my... Uh, I sent a message to one of my group chats where I said, like, you may not like it, but this is what peak fantasy performance looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, uh, like we said, we called this game. I, I like the, the talent that Oregon had on the defensive side. Maybe not in their secondary, because their passing uh, defense sucks. Mm-hmm. But they did enough in this game, so... Kudos to Oregon. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and move on to our fifth game here. And that is, it's not an upset. Don't call it an upset. Clemson falls to number 23, Pittsburgh, 27 to 17. Um, did, and did anybody not see this coming? Um, I, like, I was hopeful for Clemson coming out of the bye week that... Maybe they would get something going on offense. That Syracuse game really kind of buried any hope that I had about that. And it just got worse for Clemson. DJ Uyungale, like got benched in this game. He got benched, like, five-star, number two quarterback in the nation in 2020, I believe? Um, yeah, 2020, uh, along with Bryce Young. Uh, benched during this game. Crazy, crazy weekend for college football, or college fo- year for college football. Both Spencer Rattler and DJU getting benched. Um. Yeah, I there's nothing about this game surprised me. Pittsburgh put up about the number of points that I expected to put up, and Clemson just couldn't get anything going on offense. So, what yeah, thoughts? I think, we had the, I think we said a number in our preview of like, well, how many points you need to beat Clemson? I think the number was twenty four, and yeah, they got twenty seven. Yep. So, if you want to beat Clemson, put up more than twenty four points. Um, I, I don't think I, Clemson's I, I think put up more than good. twenty points in a game this season. It's for or no, I don't think so. not not in not in a regular not in regular. Not in regulation. Yeah, the NC State game, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't I, – I know a lot of people are going to say, you know, it, it, like the, the big story is DJ getting benched. 
He did have two picks. He did rush for a touchdown, so he used a, l- a little bit of his legs. Did, did you more. see his shovel pass but, pick? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, Xavier, I need to send you that it afterwards. Was, it, it's probably it one of the ugl- ugliest-looking things you've ever seen in your entire life. Oof. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I, Clemson just has to go through a whole new, like, rebuilding mode of, like, yeah, you have to recruit an entirely, uh, entirely new O-line or just build it up of what talent that you have left. I mean, the receivers aren't great. I mean, you had Justin Ross with five receptions, 59 yards, coming off her injury. So I I don't know. A lot of people were expecting that he would have that breakout season again like he did in 2019. Um, Joe came in finally. He only had one reception that I'm really high on for the future. And Bo Collins finally came back, I think, from injury, had five receptions, another great young piece for that Clemson uh, wide receiver core. But like we said in previous weeks, it's just that they get the same type of receiver. And if you can't like, you know, have that like versatility on your, uh, in your receiver core, then won't build well, especially with Will Shipley uh, being a freshman only getting 10 yards and coming off an injury. It's just not a good year for Clemson. So overall, sorry, but congratulations to Pittsburgh. A lot, I like the one quote that they said that a lot of uh, ACC teams are uh, taking Clemson a little bit personal when they play them. So I understand why. All yeah. the years of getting beaten up and being little brother. Yeah, it makes sense 100%. And sorry to tell you this, Clemson, but uh, you're just another ACC team this year. Yeah. You're, like I hate to say it, you're back with the pack for right now. Maybe next year it'll be better. Ooh, they play, they play Florida State this weekend. I don't know who's going to win that game. That's really funny to say. I, is it terrible for me to say that Florida State has the better offense and therefore might yeah. get some more plays no. off? No, it's not. I would probably agree with you on that one. Anyway, I'll I'll pre or I'll recap this last game. And um, Xavier, I sent I sent you the shovel pass. I'll let you watch that for a second. Um, okay. So the last game we got here, this was again not like a, a ton of people were watching this game. Uh, I actually didn't have access to this game, unfortunately. But you know, uh, for all you Mountain West fans out there, uh, Nevada Fresno State was on this weekend. If you go look at the highlights for that game, it's a fun fun game. You had two good, I think, future NFL quarterbacks um going at it in this game jake heiner and carson strong i don't think they'll be start maybe not starting quarterbacks in the future but definitely like will be rostered on nfl roster somewhere uh this was just a duel a duel between two good quarterbacks uh uh nevada had a chance to come back in this game and just missed the two-point conversion again this is one of those games where just go watch the highlights if you want to see two great quarterbacks duel it back and forth um this was huge for Fresno State in the Mountain West, I think, because I picked Nevada to win the Mountain West this year. With their loss to Fresno State and uh, another loss, I believe they've ha- they've now held. It looks like they're out of the Mountain West race at this point, unless Fresno State might lose a game or two here soon. But I don't know. Has Avery got any thoughts on this game before? Yeah, it was really late. Didn't have access, but I saw highlights of uh, Carson Strong with his deep ball ability because I think it didn't come down to the wire where it did. the last touchdown by Carson, uh, you know, kind of got them the 32, but there was nothing else they could really do after that. Um, Jake Heiner and Ronnie Rivers, it was just a more balanced. Like, he didn't have the greatest of fantasy of days, but it just shows the the high power office of Fresno State to where they can just have different guys, you know, step up to where Ronnie Rivers didn't have over 100 yards to that, like two or maybe one or two touchdowns and the other guy did as well. Jalen mm-hmm. Cropper wasn't even the focal point of this game. So it just goes to show that Fresno State, yeah, in the Mountain West, seems to be a, a leader out there for now. I think we both picked Nevada and Wyoming to make it, or did I pick somebody else? You picked uh, Nevada and Boise State. I picked Nevada and Wyoming. Yeah. Wyoming looks worse and worse every single week. I'm not sure what the hell I was thinking yeah. with that one. Yeah, 
I'm still happy about Boise. They're they're looking all right. Mm -hmm. All righty. So, oh, by the way, did you get a chance to look at that video? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw me like uh, shaking my uh, like just holding my fist. Was like, dear God, that was terrible. Yeah, that it, it was pretty bad. Anyway, that wraps up what was supposed to be a sleepy weekend for college football. It was in a way, but did have a, but in the end, it was still a great weekend of college football. At the end of the day, and yeah, uh, we got a lot coming up. Some big big matchups in the big 10 and the sec coming up for this week georgia florida penn state ohio state michigan state michigan some big big matchups and probably even more than i'm even thinking of there are probably a few big matchups in the big 12 um pac 12 stuff like that keep an eye out for all that good jazz uh we'll have that out to you if you're listening to this on monday we'll have that out to you on tuesday uh keep an eye out for our king's classic discussion we got our win this past week and we're sitting pretty for the playoffs but we have to win keep, continue to win going forward so make sure you uh tune into that in addition to that make sure you're following us on all of our platforms i am C at cff underscore jared he is at cff underscore xavier on twitter uh on youtube make sure you are subscribed to us and hit that notification bell um in addition to that leave comments down below let us know if what you think of our thoughts uh if we're idiots or if you really like what we have to say we like hearing it no matter what uh in addition to that uh, make sure you're following us on apple Podcasts and spotify and if you're listening on apple Podcasts, take five minutes and leave a five-star review for us those are so so helpful for us we love hearing from those uh in addition to that xavier got anything else to say before we head out uh I'll leave us off on a, a funny NFL stat right now. Derrick Henry has more passing touchdowns than uh, Patrick Mahomes at the moment. So that's pretty funny for the day. Oh, for the day. <laughs> but yeah. wait, what? Derrick Henry has a passing touchdown? I have not kept up with NFL at all today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> pretty funny thing. I was surprised I, when I saw it. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have not even seen what my fantasy looks like for today. We're going to find out. All righty. Appreciate y'all tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Have a blessed day.